Welcome to Beyond the Benediction. This podcast is created for the exploration of the Bible, the examination of the church, and the expectation of the Christian life. We will cover topics that will both challenge and encourage you and help us to live lives dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Kevin Toomer. Welcome to the Beyond the Benediction podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Toomer. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss, are you religious or are you redeemed? Are those two things the same thing? (laughs) Do they mean the same thing or is there a difference between being religious or being redeemed? We're going to discuss that today. Now, someone can say that they've had a religious experience. You may have heard that phrase before. You maybe even said it before. Someone may have gone to a concert or had some kind of a sensory experience, and they've said it was a religious experience. What's interesting is that religious experience that they usually uh, describe has absolutely nothing to do with God or anything that's remotely spiritual. It's based solely on how they felt about the situation. Now, what most people consider to be religion are things that we do going to church on Sunday, reciting a prayer, lighting a candle. These things are usually steeped in human traditions that give the appearance of devotion, but usually have nothing to do with the real soul of a person. Now, one of the most interesting at the same time, the most frightening scriptures in the entire Bible is Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 to 23. This is what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. That scripture is so powerful because it lets people know, lets us know. That a lot of times what we consider to be righteous behavior and Christian behavior and behavior that is consistent with being a Christian are usually just things that are traditions and, and, and things that we've decided that is Christian behavior, that we've decided or mandated based on traditions or popularity or talking about a church setting, denominational things that we determine that these are the litmus tests to determine whether something is pleasing to God. But look, Jesus makes it clear that these are people who think. They're doing the right thing. They, they're performing works and miracles and signs and doing things. And they believe in Jesus's name. And he says, I never knew you away from me, evil doers. That's a very scary scripture. And I'm afraid there are a lot of people who are attending churches every Sunday. Well, when we were attending churches, and hopefully soon after the pandemic, hopefully dissipates. But Participate in church things and religious sacraments and, and, and ceremonies that they don't know Jesus. And because they don't know Jesus, not only do they not really have a relationship, unfortunately, they're also not redeemed. Now, if we're going into scripture, the Pharisees, the well-known bad guys in the New Testament, as far as the Gospels are concerned, are, are really known for this whole traditional kind of deal of keeping with religious rites and ceremonies and things of that nature. In Mark chapter 7, 
the first five verses. These same Pharisees, they admonished Jesus because the disciples didn't eat with washed hands, according to their tradition that, that says that if you're going to eat certain things, you have to make sure you have washed hands. This was a tradition that the Pharisees really abided by. Now, let's look at same chapter, Mark 7, verses 6 and 7. It says, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideals as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Wow. First of all, look at the word hypocrite. In that context, in the Greek, that means someone who puts on a mask. Like someone who is a performer for a show and they put on a mask so you don't know who they really are. They pretend to be someone else. That's what that word hypocrite means in the Greek. But look at what he says. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're teaching things that Jesus never mandated for them to do or to put so much stock into. Now, that word redeemed is in the scriptures. Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, the word redeemed in Galatians and the word bought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both mean the same thing. To ransom, to pay for something. So we know as Christians that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. That Christ paid for us by his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. So there's a big difference between being merely religious and being redeemed. Because remember, the law was just a measuring stick. These are things to let us know that this is the criteria for righteousness. We're not good enough to attain the goodness, the righteousness that Jesus says that we're supposed to attain. So remember, a religious life is basically a person who just follows the rules. Now, you can train a computer to follow rules. You can train an animal to follow rules. It does not make them righteous. It doesn't make them redeemed. It does not make them good and pleasing in God's sight. So we don't want to live religious lives. We want to live redeemed lives because a religious life just follows the rules. A redeemed life does more than just follow the rules. A religious life says, I must go to church every Sunday. A redeemed life says, I must do more than just go to church. Because it's not just about observing rites and rituals. It's about practical help for those in need and living a pure life. Because as Christians, we're separate from the world. So you can really say that a redeemed life is a removed life. A life away from the things that the world says is okay. So let me give you three things that are traits of a redeemed life. And hopefully you and I can say at the end of this podcast that we are truly living a redeemed life. A redeemed life reflects God's grace. Romans chapter three, a very famous scripture, Romans chapter three, verses 23 to 25. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, most people who know the Bible, they really stop at verse 23, but let's go a little bit further. Verse 24 
being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, he left the sins previously committed go unpunished. Now, even though that's only three verses, it's a lot of nuggets in there. The word that stands out to me is propitiation. Now, the word propitiation means it's a two-part act. That means that you appease the wrath of an offended person and you're reconciled back to them. So that means that we've offended God. And God says that Jesus died as a propitiation. That means that he appeased his wrath and reconciled us back to God. So because that's something that Jesus did, of course, and we could not do it ourselves. We could not appease God's wrath on our own. We need to live a life that reflects the grace of God, because it says in the same scripture, we're justified as a gift by grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. And in verse 25, this is what it says, in his merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. That's really deep. That basically says that God, in his ultimate wisdom, and his ultimate mercy, he waited for us to come to him for mercy. Even though he had the right and the sovereignty to punish us immediately every time we sin. That means every time we've lied, every time we've lusted, every time we've deceived. The Bible makes it clear that the, the wages of one sin, not all of our sins, one sin is death. And God, being just, had the right to punish us immediately every time we sin. But the scripture says he demonstrated his righteousness because he was merciful to let the sins we committed before we came to Christ unpunished and waited for us to come to him. And of course, we know that the payment of Christ was one that covered our past, present, and future sins. The retribution of Christ was retroactive. It took care of all the things that we already did, and it also takes care of the sins we haven't even committed yet. What an awesome sign of grace that only comes from Christ. We have to live a life that reflects the grace of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Here's that word again, the grace of God. When was the last time that you and I really just reflected on how good God has been to us? And I don't mean it in the sense of providing. Of course, he's our provider. Of course, he's our protector. But his grace, meaning that in times when we deserve to be punished, he restrained himself. He held back. He did not give us what we deserved. What an awesome God we serve. So as redeemed Christians, as redeemed members of the body of Christ, we should be living a life that reflects the grace of God. There's no pride in a redeemed life. There's no room for pride because your life is filled up with grace and mercy. You realize, as we like to say in the church, had it not been for the Lord on my side. We realize that it's only because of his grace and only because of his mercy that we are who we are and where we are. So as a redeemed life, we should be reflecting God's grace. But also, a redeemed life obeys God's word. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, 
You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Think about what he says. If you remain faithful to my teachings, then you're his disciples. You see that? We think we can be a disciple first and then become faithful to his teachings. <laughs> we put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Jesus makes it clear in the scripture that if we're faithful to his teachings, then we're disciples. We don't have a say so in what's right or wrong. Our opinion does not have any factor or bearing on what we should do or how we should live our lives as Christians. I'm going to do an episode in a few weeks about feelings as a Christian, how our feelings should or should not come into play as we live and walk this Christian life. He didn't say, if you're faithful to my teachings, unless you feel differently. <laughs> faithful to my teachings, unless you disagree with them. Faithful to my teachings, unless they contradict with popular opinion. His teachings aren't necessarily going to make you comfortable or make you the person that's popular in your circle. We have to get outside of this whole idea that as Christians, and this is going to be another episode I do in the future, that as Christians, there are going to be times where you're going to have to stand up for Christ and you may be the only one standing. There are going to be times you're going to have to stand up for Christ and everyone else is going to think you're wrong. That they're going to look at you and say that you're closed minded, that you're myopic and you don't have the right perspective because everyone else believes differently than you do. Could it be a lot of times we don't share the word of God with people because we don't view it as authoritative? Let that sink in. Maybe we don't share the gospel of Christ because we're really not sure it's the gospel. It's really hard to share something that you really, truly don't believe in and you don't truly stand behind on your own. So as Christians living a redeemed life, we put a premium on the authority of scripture. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. Jesus says it so, the word of God says it so, and that's the way we need to abide by it. First John chapter two, verses three through six. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, three verses, a lot to unpack. Jesus says, we can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments. If you say, well, I know God, but we don't obey his commandments, that person is a liar. So that means, and I'm going to get real controversial here. You say you're a Christian. But you think that marriage is openly defined. You say you're a Christian, but you have a problem with the things that Jesus says about sexuality. You have a problem with what Jesus says about marriage. You have a problem about anything that Jesus says. So if Jesus makes it clear that this is his stance on something and you disagree with it, then ask yourself, am I living a redeemed life? Because you, you and I as Christians, we don't have the luxury of inserting our opinion to make sure whatever God says suits us. We can't do selective editing of scripture. There are a lot of scriptures that are going to go against your desires, your emotions, your thoughts, and your beliefs. Now, because it goes against your beliefs doesn't make it untrue. 
It may make it uncomfortable for you, but that doesn't make it untrue. So as Christians, we subscribe to the authority of the word of God and a redeemed life obeys the word of God. The Bible is the final authority, not our opinions. A redeemed life reflects God's grace. It obeys God's word, but a redeemed life performs God's work. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible. For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I really like that scripture. First of all, it lets us know that we're special in God's sight because it says clearly we're his handiwork. That means that God's hands are literally on us, creating in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good as defined by him, not as defined by you and I. And look what it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the work that you and I are called to do for God is not something that God just came up with yesterday. When he formed us in our mother's wombs, he had work already carved out for us to do. So the million dollar question is, are you performing his work? Now, you may be saying, well, I would. If I knew what God's work is. Well, second John chapter one, verse six, love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. So one of the major things you can kind of encapsulate what God's work for our lives is to love one another. Now, that sounds simple, but it's really profound because loving one another isn't always easy. Let me give you a newsflash. You are not always lovable. I know I'm not always lovable. Ask people who know me. (laughs) They always say Kevin's not always lovable, but I'm in good company because you're not always lovable and you are going to run into people as a Christian who are not always lovable. But Jesus didn't say only love the people you like or only love the people who look like you or only love the people who are part of your political party, or only who love the things that you love, or believe the things that you believe. That's why this is so hard. As a Christian, there's a concept of love God gave me a few years ago. Love is the only thing that fills up the person who gives it away. Usually when you and I give something up, There's a hole there. There's a deficit. There's something missing because I relinquished something over to someone else. Love is different in that when we love others, it not only affects that person, but it fills us up as well. So loving other people is something that we should be doing as a redeemed Christian. God's work for us is to love one another. Now, that's not going to be easy, especially because as Christians, we're targeted. And people are going to look at us and try to see how we're going to love one another. Are we really going to be as loving as we should be? Are we really going to show the love that Jesus says in a situation where someone has treated you badly? When someone who said they were going to be there for you is no longer around. It's easy, as the scripture says, to love someone who loves you. But what credit is that? But can you love the person who has done you unjustly? Can you love the person who's cheated you? who's deceived you, who's denied you, who's ridiculed you in public, who's stabbed you in the back. Can you still love that person? That is the litmus test of whether we truly have the love of God. Now, one more thing that 
is part of God's work and part of loving other people is sharing the good news of God. The best way you show love to someone is to tell them about Jesus, the person who loves us all, who, who is love. The Bible makes it clear that God is love. So the best way to show love is to introduce them to the person who is love. Now, another famous scripture for those who have been a, a Christian for some time. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, this is Jesus making a command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That scripture is usually called the Great Commission. When Jesus makes his commission to his disciples, which includes you and I, to go out and make disciples. That first verse, it says, make disciples. It didn't say make church members. It didn't say make people who subscribe to religious rites. Disciple is someone who has been taught. And it says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them as Christians. Teaching is not just something for ministers and pastors to do. If you're a Christian, if you're living a redeemed life, you're called to be teachers as well. Because it says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's commanded us to love one another. And one of the evidences of a redeemed life is a desire to see people come to Christ. If you're a Christian and the only thing you care about is is coming to a church building and hearing the praise team and and hearing the sermon and, and, and doing that kind of stuff. But once the benediction is over, you go home and there's no thought of people. There's no thought of salvation. There's no thought of the, the state of the world. And there are people out there who don't know Christ. If you don't have a desire to see other people come to Christ, I have to genuinely question whether you're living a redeemed life. Charles Spurgeon had an interesting quote. He says, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. <laughs> Spurgeon did not pull any punches. Now, I won't go as far as to say what Spurgeon is saying that a person is not necessarily saved, but that's definitely an error and opportunity and growth. So if you and I really want to claim that we're living a redeemed life, there should be a desire to do God's work. And even though it's not going to always be easy, it is always rewarding. It is always worthwhile. I know for a fact, from my personal perspective, the moments that I've been able to participate in someone coming to Christ has been some of the greatest experiences I've ever had as a Christian. I understand with the pandemic, our social interactions are kind of limited, but find some ways to really introduce people to Christ. And there may be someone in your family that you know needs to come to Christ. And you could be discipling that person. So as Christians, if we're going to live a redeemed life and not just be religious people, we have to make sure that we are reflecting God's grace, that we're obeying God's word, and we're performing the work of God. So by you and I doing the works of God, we're proving we live a redeemed life. And we also have faith that God is the one who's in control. So that's all I have for this episode. I thank you so much for listening. And until the next episode, make sure the light of Christ shines the brightest in you beyond the benediction. Thank you.